my cringe is that the first season that Pete Davidson was on SNL, I told all of my friends how gorgeous he was. And they all told me that I was, I was, I was like, I'm the first who was like, Pete Davidson is gorgeous and he's funny and he's hot. And they were like, he looks like a meth addict. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Fully aware. I'm owning it. Yeah. I mean, that's impressive because listen, okay. Are we going to talk about Pete Davidson right now? <laughs> Hey, Boo fam. Welcome to Peking. This is Jess, your host, and hopefully one of your best friends at this point. We're in season two. I feel like I've earned it. I'm so happy you're back to see what we have in store for this season. It's going to get deeper. It's going to get weirder. You already know what it is, though. It's it's Peking. It's about low moments in life that are opportunities to grow. We try to do a little bit of self-help, but a lot of laughing along the way. We don't take ourselves too seriously, and... We got more of that in store for you this season on Peking. Boo fam. It's been so long. I think it's been exactly a month since I dropped my last episode of Peking. I delayed this one and really I have no good excuse. That's not true. That's not true. (laughs) I'm trying to work on being less hard on myself. Somebody pointed out to me recently, I'm not... I don't punish myself, but I am hard on myself. And I think that's true. And I think it's something I want to work on. So, you know, there was a good reason that I haven't posted an episode in a month and I needed to delay things. And it's because I started my new job. And while I wasn't busy with work the first few weeks, and even still, I'm like finally now in week four, starting to pick up some more tasks and ownership of things. um, I was just adjusting to like, being back in the corporate world, nine to five job, sitting at a desk behind a computer on Zoom calls all day, work from home. It's a lot. It's really an adjustment after a year of vibing. (laughs) Even though the last six months of that year was spent networking and interviewing and so on and so forth, but I still got to mostly do what I want, you know? So it's an adjustment. I... I'm exhausted in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm sure that I'll get used to it, but I also have a complicated relationship with getting used to it. Like I don't really want to get used to it because how sad is that, that we as humans need to get used to like being these robots um, for corporate America. (laughs) I wonder if anyone from my new job will be listening to this. Probably not. And if you are, you probably agree with me. Honestly, We're all people like just because we work these jobs and we have bosses who work these jobs and we have to answer to and whatever, like we're all humans who kind of like feel the same way. Not every single person, but I would say there's probably like a middle chunk of people that are generally fed up with the same types of things. And uh, so I I have no shame kind of broadcasting this opinion it's not natural for us to sit at a desk behind a computer all day. It's not natural for us to look at screens all day. I'm having issues with my eyes. Like my eyes are strained by 11 a.m. I don't know. 
I don't know when this is going to feel normal again. And I kind of dread that day as much as I also look forward to it because it'll make my day to day like feel easier. But emotionally, (laughs) it will be a thing. That's kind of a good transition into something I'm dealing with as I start my new job and wanted to talk to you guys about. It's another example of me being too hard on myself, but this is my audio diary. This is my most vulnerable place that I'm honest with you and with myself in this space. So something that I have realized in the past couple days is that there's an element of um, guilt or disappointment or uh, frustration or regret I hate the word regret. I don't regret anything. And I'm sure a few months or years or whatever from now, I will know why things did not happen this way. And I won't have any regrets. But in the current moment, there's a bit of a thing I'm navigating in my brain, a little voice in my head that's like, okay, you took a year off. I grew a ton don't get me wrong. I know that I grew a ton and it was valuable time and worthwhile for me as a, as a person. But when I think about my career, I'm like, did I do enough in that time? Like one of the thoughts I had when I quit my job last year was obviously starting a podcast, but it was like, can I make this podcast a business? Can I start some other business? And I didn't really do that. I didn't really try to do that. I did the podcast and enjoyed it. I thought about other things I could do and didn't really land on anything super moving, I guess, or that I, that really motivated me to like put the work in and start something. And I ultimately decided that I need more time to get to that dream of mine. And that in that time, I, I really valued the stability that I get from, you know, being employed. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. That's what the majority of us do, right? But now that I'm employed again, it's kind of like the little voice in my head is starting to come back or I can predict that it's going to come back. And it's only a matter of days, months, whatever. That's like, you're not doing what you're meant to be doing you need to like fully live out your potential and and chase your dreams and why are you delaying it and just like stop doing this and start something of your own and I'm not going to do that because I'm practical and I remember the logic behind the reason I made this decision to take this job at this point and like kind of pursue that stuff on the side slash later But emotionally, I'm a bit like, did I not do enough with that time off? Like I did the thing that people want to do. So many people wish they could do. Quit my job and just like lived my life. I guess that's beautiful in itself, right? Like I lived my life. I don't know. It brought me here. But there's another side of me that's like, you know hustle culture teaches us if you're going to quit your job um is that because you're starting your empire (laughs) and the thing is like I do want to start an empire so to some people that doesn't even appeal to me I'm like no just later just not in that year that I quit like the next time that I quit (laughs) 
I don't know. It's, um, it's not rational or maybe it is rational. I don't know what the word rational really means. (laughs) I know what logical means and I know the difference between like logic and emotion. Rationality, tough. I don't think it's exactly logic. I think it can be informed by emotion. Am I wrong? Probably. I'm a cancer, so I'm always going to bring it back to like, my emotions are valid and that makes me rational. (sighs) Anyway, these are just some of my initial thoughts. Week four of my job. It's, It's a good company. It's a good team. I think it's exposing me to things that are going to be great for me long term in terms of like skills and knowledge. Um, it's a mission driven organization, which is really important to me. Like it feels like we can make a difference in healthcare with what, what kind of this company is trying to do and what the product is. And I'm getting paid, baby. <laughs> So like that's, you know, I'm not money motivated by any means, but it's a necessity, right? And it's like definitely a comfort and a relief to have a paycheck coming in now. So I just have to remind myself of those things and only time will tell when my dreams will come true. (laughs) Or maybe I need to start living like every day my dreams are coming true. Do people do that? It's funny because I... I've talked to you guys about this. Like, I consider myself an optimist, but not in the way where I'm like, every day my dreams are coming alive. Like, I mean, I have certain days when I feel that way, maybe, but most days I'm just kind of like, eh, it's another day. But on the whole, I do believe that, like, things go the way they should, and I have hope for positive outcomes. And I think that that makes me optimistic, like I hope for the best, but I'm not naive to the fact that like not every day is going to be the best. I don't know. Does any of this make sense? It's 10 p.m. the night before I post this episode. (laughs) Are you surprised? No one's surprised. Um, All right. Without further ado, let me just tell you what we're doing today. It's very exciting because this is my first ever collab with a different podcast. Um, Bethany and Melissa from In Bed With Books reached out to me a couple months ago. Bethany found me via my friend Caroline, who was my first interview of this season. She has an awesome YouTube channel that if you're not already watching it every day of your life, not every day, but like every Saturday, I think is when she posts. Um, you should be. It really brings me a lot of joy. She's very funny, very relatable, very smart, very talented and creative. Can't say enough amazing things about her. I'm just looking up what her YouTube channel is called. Oh, just search Caroline Winkler on YouTube. 29.9K subscribers. Go off, queen. <laughs> anyway, um, so Bethany found me via her YouTube channel and reached out and told me about her podcast and told me that she binged peaking and she loved the concept and really related to it. One thing led to another. We're all doing this collab. So she and Melissa host In Bed With Books. Um, It's a podcast that's basically like a book club. Uh, They do a different book each episode, but then also certain episodes are not focused on one book, but more like um, about 
certain characters or certain genres and they do kind of like unique things so it depends um you can find them at in bed with books pod on instagram and they have their podcast is like on spotify and apple so you can just search for them there if you're a reader they mostly do like young adult and fantasy reading but the book that we read together when i was on their podcast um is a classic sometimes they throw in classics so it was their eyes are watching god which I know is a book that a lot of people read in like high school. I didn't read that one in my curriculum, but it it was good. It was good. It pushed me to read, and that's really like most of what I needed from this experience. And then also introduced me to new people. Um, I definitely did like take certain lessons from the reading and related to certain themes within the book so even though it's probably not the type of book that I would choose to read on my own or or like gravitate towards in the future I really enjoyed talking to them about it so you can find my episode on their podcast it's the most recent one it came out on May 2nd this past Monday so go listen to that we also infuse like humor and chatter and everything into the episode the same way I do on Peking. So it's not all book stuff, but if you do like to read and you have read that book or you'd like to read it and then listen, just go do it. Um, give them a follow. And without further ado, I think I already said that, but there's really no better way to say what I want to say and give a little transition here. Let's get into the episode. My conversation with Bethany and Melissa from the In Bed With Books podcast. Well, hello, In Bed With Books, ladies. Thanks for coming on Peaking. It's like so exciting to have guests that are not people in my like day-to-day life and guests who have their own podcast and who found me. Like, I feel very <laughs> professional about this collab. So thank you for that. <laughs> this is the most professional thing that I have done in so long, a very long time. I mean- yeah preaching to the choir. I've been unemployed for a year. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, just for the boo fam to catch up, get up to speed in bed with books is a podcast that, um, Bethany and Melissa run together. How long have you guys been doing it? Almost it'll a year a, now. Yeah. It'll be a year in July 4th. And has it been weekly that whole time? Have you taken time off? You've done seasons, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. We do. We do. And we take about like a month or six weeks off, I think. Yeah. It's like 12 episodes per, and then 12 episodes off or like 12 weeks on 12 weeks off kind of thing. So Mm. nice. Very structured and organized, which I remember we talked about when we (laughs) met and I was like, you guys have it together more than I do. Um, love it. Well, all an illusion. (laughs) that's that's all that life is though so it's fine you're you're tricking me I'm falling for it um well I'd love for each of you to just give a little bit of an intro to yourselves and what I ask people is just to say a little bit about who you are what matters to you you don't have to feel like it's the type of intro you'd give on like a call with work people unless you want it to be that way but I hope that you don't and um (laughs) yeah maybe Bethany do you want to go first Sure. My name is Bethany and I am the co-runner of In Bed With Books podcast with Melissa. And uh, I would, I'm a Pisces. Thank you for um, that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you always love it. And I, I found Jess um, through actually Caroline Winkler's mm-hmm. YouTube channel. 
Um, I'm a big fan of her and uh, found you and just binge listened to all of your podcasts. So it's actually really an honor that you have us on here today. So thank you. But um, yeah, a little bit about me. Um, I'm just what, what did you say? Bring what bring what you value? Yeah, what Um, matters to you? What what stuff do you do in your life? Well, I read a lot now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I read a lot. And I think after um, our master's program that Melissa and I met in in 2019, we've really kind of come back to reading. And that's what this our podcast is really all about is just kind of coming back to like finding those like really fun reads the um, again. And uh, yeah, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. I feel like you have pets, don't you? Do you have a cat? Yes. I have two cats. I have okay. Bunny, who is going to be 14 this year. Wow. And maybe who just turned eight. So <laughs> maybe like the Arrested Development character? Yes. Okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> the first one to be like, oh, from Arrested Development? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, immediately. Immediately. Yes. That's awesome. Um, and you have some pretty impressive plants back there. So I'm just oh, adding to your you. bio a little bit because I'm <laughs> like, oh, you got some cool canvas tote bags. Like, just from your screen, I can tell a lot about you, you know, <laughs> you too, <laughs> Melissa, you. actually. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thanks for that. And thanks for including your sign because it is, if people don't mention it themselves, I always ask, it tracks that you're a Pisces because water <laughs> sign, water sign sisters. Um, I just yeah. already feel that connection and the flowing <laughs> energy between us. So <laughs> Melissa, tough act to follow, but it's your turn. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, well, my name is Melissa. I'm the other half of In Bed With Books. I am a Capricorn sun and Aries moon. Um, <laughs> wow, intense. Yes. You're intense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bethany and I were just talking about that actually a little while ago. Unfortunately, the number of people that have come up to me after knowing me for several months and been like, I thought you hated me at first. I'm like, I promise <laughs> you, I don't. I just, sometimes it physically hurts to smile every, every second of every day. I wish more um, people would think that I hated them at first. Nobody <laughs> thinks that about me. I, I'm like, you're getting the wrong idea. <laughs> you know, like when you were on college campuses and they would have those people up with like the sign up sheets or like the sign this for this, they never, never came up to me. Occasionally they would. And if it was like, I was smiling for once, but very rarely and sometimes if I just looked they would like turn they were like nope we're not she's That's not such, the the thing today such a gift honestly it, it is it really is <laughs> um yeah I'm not gonna deny it's a great superpower so I am I'm actually really into astrology mm-hmm. and kind of I guess in theme with the podcast I think I'm finally at a point in my life where I'm not aspiring in like a negative way quite as much anymore Hmm. I feel a little bit more secure than I used to that being said when I was like I mean when we were doing our masters I thought that was a peak of like security Mm -hmm. emotional security I should say and now looking back I'm like you were so wrong but I think again I'm, I'm at this point now where I'm like comfortable again I love that. Yeah. 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 Snaps for you. That's great. And thank you. Yeah. I mean, I do think that those peaking moments, like they happen over and over again. It's not like you have one peaking moment in your life and you're like, well, that was it. It's like, 
there's chapters and each mm-hmm. of them has that like progression, I really believe. And so it makes sense that like you had that at one point and then maybe, you know, lost it or things changed or you went through different yeah. stuff and you're kind of like arriving at that place again. That's great to hear. Yeah. And my last thing is I think that Brendan Fraser is his renaissance is amazing. Uh, obviously wow. you can't really see, but what right. A random hot take. <laughs> Go ahead. Continue. Yeah. I want to just say that for the record, <laughs> I'm so happy that Brendan Fraser is back. Yeah. Honestly, I saw him on a red carpet in one of these last few weeks, I think. And I was mm-hmm. like, bro, like this is working for you. You know? Yes. Yes. It's been exciting. Should we go around and say celebrity crushes while we're on this? Like, would yes. you consider him your celebrity crush of the moment? Um, he's my celebrity dad of the moment. Okay. Okay. <laughs> my previous celebrity dads have been Gary Oldman. Sure. Liam Neeson. Mm. Idris Elba. Idris mm, Elba yes. is a daddy, not just yes. a dad. Idris Elba yes. is both cel- one of both. my biggest oh, celebrity yes. crushes. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's everything. But celebrity crush forever and always, Chris Evans. <gasps> okay. Me and my two best friends, our group chat is titled Chris Evans Appreciators <laughs> because we love Chris Evans. It's really yes. random. We just needed to name it because we constantly yeah. were in this trio of texting. Um, okay. We love that. That's a broad yeah. range, but I think that's healthy. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Diverse. Bethany, how about you? <laughs> um, I, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Tom Hardy. Mm. Yeah. I love him. And if you've ever seen the movie Bronson, him. you can see all of him. Wow. Yeah. That's a great tip. <laughs> that is a very that. great tip. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a, such a good movie though. It's just a brilliant movie. I, oh my I God. Like- he's hot. She watches it for the plot. Him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I watch it for the plot. Um, also Mad Max is really good. I just loved, yeah, I love him. So that's, but Idris Elba. Yep. And you mm-hmm. said someone else. I can't remember, but I was into Gary Oldman. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I, I understand it. Thank oh, you. Liam Neeson. I'm oh yeah. Yeah. Liam sure. Neeson girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good choices. Good choices. Can't go Anyone wrong. Anyone to add to the list, Jess? <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you so much for asking. I would say I agree with a lot of the choices. I'd like to emphasize and capitalize Idris Elba. Um, have you seen the new, the like black Western movie on Netflix that he's in? What's it called? Mm-hmm. The Harder They Fall. The, I want to so bad. I haven't been able to watch anything new recently. Everyone in that movie is delicious. Like it is <laughs> an incredible, and it's like cinematically really engaging and amazing. I don't watch, we're going to get to this because you guys are all about books and I'm not typically a big reader. You've challenged me to read a book for our recording together for your episode. (laughs) And I'm really glad because it's like a good thing to do and something I've wanted to do more, but I'm not a big reader. I'm also not a big movie watcher. Like my attention span is the typical millennial, maybe even Gen Z thing of like, just give me a YouTube video or mm-hmm. I'll watch 10 hours of a TV show over watching a two hour movie, like that whole thing. Yep. Just, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I can't explain it, but it's me. And that being said, watching 
the harder they fall was like it's one of the only movies I've watched in recent memory, but I loved it. <laughs> and Idris looks incredible. And everyone, Lakeith Stanfield is in that. He's really hot. Um, oh, he's gorgeous. I'd like to add Michael B. Jordan to the list. Yes. And I have a weird ongoing thing for Shia LaBeouf that like mm. I know is turmoiled, but <laughs> it's my truth. It's okay. <laughs> word for it. <laughs> one thing that we on in bed with books enjoy is embracing the cringe about ourselves we have to yeah exactly exactly um my cringe is that the first season that pete davidson was on snl i told all of my friends how gorgeous he was and they all told me that i was i was i was like i'm the first who was like Pete Davidson is gorgeous and he's funny and he's hot. And they were like, he looks like a meth addict. And I'm like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Fully aware. I'm owning it. Yeah. I mean, that's impressive because listen, okay. Are we going to talk about Pete Davidson right now? (laughs) I know here in my brain how dumb that is. No, because I understand what you're saying. I like what you're saying, which is like you you were there first. You understood it before everybody else did. Before he dated Ariana, before yeah. he got that popularity, like you saw it in him and that's beautiful. However, like even still today, after he's dated Ariana and now that he's with Kim, I still don't see it. I do think he's funny and I see maybe his charm. Like there's something yeah. about him. Yeah, he has like a charisma. Yeah, but would I ever call him like hot or just like, I can't g- g- easy on the eyes. <laughs> he's, he's, he's not easy on the eyes is like the opposite. Nice. <laughs> yes. I saw this tweet that was like something about like the, the wording was something about how he's got that line cook energy mm, and he's dating a bunch of like front of house. Like he's dating the, the hostesses and, and oh, I was like, cool. that's it. That is it right there. I cannot explain it any better than that tweet. Yeah. That's perfect. Actually. That's actually, yeah, that's really sexy. I'm like into that now. (laughs) It makes a lot of sense if you've ever worked in a restaurant. Did you hear that he branded Kim's name? He he got a bunch of tattoos related to Kim. Yeah. But then he was like, I need to go a step further. I need to do something that I can't ever remove or cover up. And so he got her name branded in his like abdomen chest somewhere right in the middle of his body. And just wow. after he'd gotten a ton of tattoos actually removed over the last like year or something. Yeah. And he covered up the one that he had with Ariana, which they were engaged. Let me remind everyone. So yeah. like, I don't know. He's wild. And I, I respect the boldness. Yeah. I don't judge people embrace your cringe, whatever. If that's his cringe, <laughs> fine. But <laughs> I don't, my worry is that we haven't even reached his cringe yet. He hasn't peaked yet. (laughs) (laughs) Pete, I'm wishing you the best if you're listening. (laughs) Thanks for being part of the Boo fam. Um, (laughs) Okay, so where to begin? I know that, you know, you kind of alluded to some of it, Melissa, in terms of like feeling kind of going through different phases in life where you felt like you had these peaking moments. And just as a refresher to get everybody on the same page, like the way that I think about peaking is in those journeys in between when you're really having to dig deep and learn more about yourself and 
like going through challenges and going through the thick of it. Um, so low moments in life that are opportunities to grow is like often the way that I describe it. So I know that that's a super big like definition and a big thing to just respond to, but I was hoping we could just start to throw some, what's that saying? Throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> um, I'm really bad at sayings, but I think that that was right. So I'm patting myself on the shoulder um, <laughs> and just talk about like times in your lives when you felt that that was relevant. And I think in particular, you both have mentioned to me that kind of when you went off to grad school and met each other, and then after that decided to start the podcast, a lot of that was full of peaking moments. So it'd be great if you could walk me and the Bufam through that story a little bit and you know, we'll interject and we'll talk about random things like Pete Davidson along the way <laughs> yeah. and we'll just go from there. Yeah. I think, um, I think kind of what really gravitated me towards this podcast. Um, and when I started listening to it was, I was just kind of thinking over and over like, oh my gosh, I'm like, we went through this. Like I can think of a specific moment in like year in my life, which was yeah, grad school. And just kind of like going through that year and realizing that like it looks from the outside like right I moved to London and it just sounds really exciting but like actually it was like one of the most challenging years of my life um mm -hmm. and um I personally because um I was married for seven years and was still married when I moved to London for grad school. Um, and are still married now. Yes, yeah. I'm still married now. I, I want to like, clarify for listeners. Like, it sounded like I had this past marriage and then I went yeah, off to yeah. London. That, that was not a peaking moment, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, uh, it was kind of this opportunity where um, I think I was in undergrad and uh, one of my um professors was like oh she just said one day oh wouldn't it be fun to just go to London and like look at all of these texts and like something happened where it just kind of hit me and I was like I oh my gosh I think I want to go to London to go to school but part of me was like also terrified to go home because I kind of like in my body had kind of already decided somehow that this is mm. something I wanted to do um it was kind You're of one terrified of those to go home and tell your husband that you yeah. That I was thinking like, about that because you felt yeah. really confident that you actually did want to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I got home and I was like, he's like, what? And I was like, I think I want to go study in London. And he said, absolutely. You should do that. Like, like, absolutely. I will. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like, really, um, it was really crazy. I didn't, he like, without a beat, just like responded with that. And I was like, whoa, okay like, we're going to do this. Like, what, what is that? I can't do that. And then go through all the doubts, but I think it was something he recognized that like we kind of needed, um, you know, we were just kind of not to, not together stuck, but like individually just a little like depressed and like needed something to kind of like change things up. And I had never lived on my own. He had never lived on his own. And so this was kind of a cool opportunity to do that. Um, and I've always, wanted to live in London. So <laughs> like a dream of mine. So, so it all happened super fast. Like within that same day, it kind of clicked and then mm -hmm. you got his support and then you were like, okay, I guess this is happening. 
Yeah. And I remember trying to get in that fall, but I was like, I don't think I can. Cause when it's like abroad, you, it takes, everything takes so long and it takes about a year. So, um, so I got, so I got into the program and, um, I met Melissa there and it was really fun because I think one of the first things I really liked about her was that we were both the loudest Americans in the class. <laughs> if I was in your class, I would have been the third. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think just by proxy being American makes you louder. Like, it's, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I remember we would always, that's a kind of a, I think a cultural thing in Britain is like, you don't really speak up in class. You just listen. And if you do speak up, it's like a very, you're very quiet and you're like, I don't know, just more timid. Um, but like Americans, like in my undergrad, I was very much encouraged to speak up. That was part of our grade. Mm -hmm. um, and we went around the circle, you know, and we all talked about it. And so having something to say was always really ingrained in me. And so, um, but I also liked that whenever Melissa and I were like talking about something in class, it would always get political. And so that's also very American. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I have, I'm just trying to think of how to do this with two people, you know, like I want mm -hmm. Melissa to also share like kind of what brought you to that same grad program. Yeah. So I am a little bit younger than Bethany. I did, I mean, like normal 18, got out of high school, went to college, did a state school. And then I took a year off and I decided more or less to go to grad school. So by the end of like undergrad, I had two degrees and a minor. And just after the, the basic four years. And I took a year off, but it wasn't like an intention to take a year off. The intention was to like just get into the workforce. I didn't have any plans to go to grad school. I didn't take the GRE or anything like that, but I got pretty bored pretty quickly because I was just working an office job. Um, so you can imagine again, like I'm moving that fast all the time. And then suddenly I stopped and I got antsy and I didn't know how to like appreciate rest in a bigger sense not like taking a nap every day. I mean, I do that now because I'm chronically ill now. Surprise, surprise, after pushing my body to places that it didn't need to be pushed to for so long. Um, but now I think, I think that's one of the reasons like at the very beginning when I mentioned reaching this point of contentness that I've been aspiring to a little bit more because I understand like the bigger sense of rest, which I think the pandemic for better or worse also helped come to that realization. Um, so I ignored my body's need to actually chill out for five minutes and applied to grad school. And so I only actually got about like one academic year off. And then in 2018, the like fall of 2018 is when we started our program. Hmm. I have not, so like Bethany's She's like leaving, you're leaving a husband behind and your beautiful cats and <laughs> this life that you've built over the last seven years. And I was just kind of like, I chucked the box of things that I couldn't take with me to my parents' house and then was like deuces and left. Didn't have a boyfriend, still don't. That's not a, <laughs> that's not like a, 
uh, a fishing or anything. Like I, I didn't have anything tying me down, I should say. I didn't have pets. Mm -hmm. And so it was very easy for me to make that move. What I didn't know, so at the time I actually wasn't that knowledgeable about astrology. I had kind of started getting into it because I love studying things generally. And so that kind of filled that gap in my year off. But what I hadn't learned about yet were perfections. And so for those people who don't know, it's like a really brief thing real quick is every year of your life will correlate to like a different house in your birth chart. So like the first year of your life when you're like zero years old is your first house. And so I was going to London and about to start a 12th house perfection year, which is like the house of being far away, the mm. house of isolation, the house of like the subconscious, the house of kind of like the shadow, the, the gross parts of yourself that you aren't willing to acknowledge. And so un unknowingly, I threw myself kind of headfirst into that, unfortunately. Well, was there any way to avoid that if that was the house that you were like destined for that year. Yeah, Does that make no, sense? exactly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it would have come any other way. Okay. I just, I threw myself in a very literal sense. Yeah. 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 Okay. I follow. So it's interesting that you both kind of came at this new chapter of your life from a different, from different places and then found each other and saw something like familiar and comfortable in each other. Um, which I just think is like, you know, obviously it's like the way that a lot of friendships and relationships form between, um, not that you're like unlikely friends, but just like <laughs> from what your, what on paper your lives were at the time, you know, um, I guess I want to ask a little bit more about kind of what was going on for both of you emotionally leading up to the decision to go off to London for a year. Um, like I know Bethany, you alluded to just feeling personally like needing a change and stuck and down, like what did that look like? And how did you arrive? I, I know that it seemed like the decision to go to London like happened really quickly, but how long had you been feeling like you needed a change, I guess? Like, do you remember any of that kind of processing? Yeah, um, I actually, my best friend um, travels a lot. That's like her thing. She loves to travel um, and she goes to like a new place every time. And um, she took me along one time in 2016. So this was a bit before this. And we went to Scotland and London and Amsterdam and it was the first time I traveled ever. I just thought, I just never thought in my life I would ever leave on a plane and go to like the places I've dreamt about. Um, so it really opened my eyes to realizing that it's really not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> and you make it as hard as you want it to be. You know, uh, obviously I was, you know, lucky enough to have the money to do that and, and things like that. But I think I... I just had it in my mind that I was just never going to be able to do that. Um, and so that really changed things for me and made me really want to live in Scotland. Um, <laughs> I was like, can we just stay here? Um, and uh, so I think that encouraged um, me a lot to kind of uh, think about London 
but also I, uh, I, a, a lot similar to Melissa, I changed majors, if you will, not like ac academically, but I got into a lot of different things. I majored in music. I went to nutrition school. I <laughs> took psychology and then finally just landed in humanities. Um, and I just never knew where I belonged. Um, and I got, I, I've always kind of had that identity crisis. And I could mention as well that I have a lot of Gemini in my chart, which is, <laughs> makes it hard to stick in any one place. Um, so it, it was kind of like this was the last um, opportunity for me to have a purpose that not only would kind of help my relationship with like independence mm -hmm. um, or even give me a master's degree but a purpose of like this is something everyone can understand and I feel like Melissa and I have d discussed this in the past which is like when you when someone asks you oh what are you doing and you tell them oh I'm studying in London to get a master's in 18th century studies like there is no other questions after that like you have <laughs> yeah. like you have like they're like oh cool you know, right. but like right now, like, you know, and, and it when was you're like not firm mm -hmm. and yeah. stable, it was like, there was this purpose and everyone, you know, and there is kind of that, the vain part of me is like, there is kind of that exciting thing of like, Ooh, she's living in London. Like, you yeah. know, and that's kind of fun, but I guess, but <laughs> just yeah. having, um, having something going on that felt like I was going somewhere, even if I didn't know what I was going to do with the degree <laughs> was kind of yeah. like this, like last saving grace for me. That makes so much sense. Like, I think that's really relatable probably to a lot of people because I feel like, well, I definitely relate to many parts of what you just said. Like I growing up was never, I never had like one thing that was like my mm -hmm. thing that I really loved and really like knew that I wanted to do when I grew up or knew that like, I've always been a math and science person. So I need to do something with that. I was just like solid at everything, even good. I don't want to say good at everything, but like, I kind of was, I was a good student and I worked hard and like, I did well enough at least across the board, but there wasn't like any one thing that ever stood out to me. And then I feel like the way that i made my decisions about education and academics were very similar to what you just described of like, mm -hmm. I applied to colleges. I chose the one that was the best school I got into. I went there. I chose the major that could give me the broadest exposure to lots of different things. I studied public health, which like is policy. It's health and like bio and stuff. It's, um, environment, it's psychology, like a lot of things kind of blend together under the umbrella of public health. So it let me still like study a lot and stay broad. And then once I finished undergrad, I went to get my master's. Well, I started working and then I went to get my master's. Um, but I just stuck with public health because I was like, I don't know, I've been doing this. Like, I think it'll make me be taken more seriously or something if mm -hmm. I have a master's degree and like, it shows that I'm working towards something. And I think that's a lot of what you're alluding to, but none of it was because like, 
oh, this is my thing that like is my passion or my destiny or what I've always been good at. It was just kind of, I don't know. It was just kind of like, this makes sense at the time. And I'll have an answer to people's questions about like, what are you doing? And it'll seem impressive, even if I don't really know if it's the right thing. And like, I feel like that's so much of your early twenties, you know? Well, people also never ask you, do you think this is what you want to do? That's true. I feel like I ask that now. Like it's one of my most common. I love asking that question when I meet new people, not, Mm -hmm. not really in that way, but like, you know, you'll get on the topic of, oh, what do you do for a living or whatever? And they'll describe it. And my next question is not about the job really at all, but I ask, do you like it? Yeah. Like, do yeah. You like keep are you happy? That? Yeah. 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 I think that that's a really interesting conversation to have with people, but yeah, when you're younger, yeah. that's never the question. Nobody cares. Yeah. It's like, okay, are you, what are you doing with your life? Are you going to be able to support yourself and be independent and yeah. Yeah. All I can things. ever hear is my, my grandma's voice, which is, so what are you going to do with that degree? Which mm. a degree, a, a that master's triggers degree every English major within 18th, a mile, a master's degree in 18th century studies. What am I going to do with that in the <laughs> Pacific Northwest? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I, I definitely feel that I kind of, kind of on that, which was like, I definitely wanted to have something that was like a purpose but also I was just kind of like, I'm going to study whatever I want. <laughs> like, I just want to yeah, study yeah. kind of what I was really passionate about and not really care about where, where I was going with it. I was just kind of like, I guess, like, if I'm going to go to London, I'm going to, you know, I really want to like study what I want to study in Do London, it. I guess. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's talk a little more for both of you about like the experience of actually being there. And I liked what you said earlier, Bethany, about how from the outside, it seems like oh, I'm going to this really cool program on something very specific that I'm specifically interested in. And it's in London and it's just like, people are going to be like, she's so posh, you know? And then that's kind of how it is perceived on the outside perhaps, but it was not obviously as nothing is all rainbows and butterflies. Um, Yeah. So just tell me a little bit more about like how that unfolded and kind of like what surprised you about the experience of that year maybe and what were what were the really hard parts but then the thing the things that ultimately like pushed you to grow you know yeah it was and it, if if anyone ever asked me about like the year of london they'll know that it was the best time of my life but also like the worst time of my life um and the first three months were thrilling, of course, because I was just exploring the city. Uh, that's like one of my favorite things to do is I just get on the tube and I just like explore and I walk around and I just love it. Um, and uh, I saw a lot of different things, um, but it was also the longest I'd ever been away from Milo for the first time. And so it was Milo's coming. Your yeah. Yes. Just thank you. The- <laughs> Milo. <laughs> um, so it was a lot of coming home and drinking a bottle of wine and just like being really depressed. Um, and, uh, and, and it's also hard cause you don't know anyone yet. And, you know, even if you've met people, you just don't know them well enough yet to like really hang out a lot. And so that didn't really start, um, getting into like a rhythm until probably November, December. Um, but I think the, 
moving kind of into the latter half of the year was was kind of this really strange dull sensation because I felt like I should be soaking everything up but I was like too depressed to like appreciate where I was Mm. um it was just kind of this like a lot of drinking in public (laughs) (laughs) it's legal there it's legal there there. (laughs) on the street Um, by myself like (laughs) just very sad um a lot of poetry written um (laughs) Mm. but uh, give us a reading (laughs) a peaking exclusive (laughs) (laughs) um but uh, the summertime was also the time to go traveling and so that kind of distracted me a lot as well so Melissa and I went to Athens and I went to uh Croatia with another friend and we also went and saw Stonehenge at one time but Mm. uh so yeah it was just like that's kind of when I think friendships really kind of came home because that was kind of another thing I'll say too that we bonded over that I really loved about like Melissa and I's relationship when we first met was like so we had this really should I say it yeah yeah okay we had this <laughs> I don't really, know what it is but yeah we had this really attractive professor <laughs> That's we just natural. don't say names we just but won't no say names. names yeah um even though the name oh, okay um it adds the to name. it yeah yes it, it does it does okay. because i'm gonna it make starts one up with doctor of course because he's a professor yeah. so it's like dr edward cullen <laughs> well, isn't that the twilight guy we can call him dr edward cullen i love cullen, that dr cullen so dr cullen would always wear like the the nice sweaters with the button down underneath and his hair was kind of messed up and he was like Yep. Um, he was, was like he on of, the younger side. He had the glasses. He had. Oh yeah, he, he was. The, he like was the, in his probably late thirties, okay. maybe even mid thirties, mid yeah. early thirties, possibly. Because yeah. he was in academia, he could have just aged a little faster than normal. Um, <laughs> yeah, just like the total like messy academic look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was a room full of girls, <laughs> and then one guy. The class was about poetry, so it was just like perfect too much like poetry like, and revolution we did create, overload yeah. we did create a mess a whatsapp about him so as you yeah. should as we should yes um but it was just it was just funny because like i'm like away from my husband and like melissa's like single in the city and we're just like it was kind of this interesting like way for us to like bond i guess like we were just like really open about like talking about like sex and like desiring and stuff and so that was just like really fun because we would I don't know I feel like part of the reason that brought us together so I guess just for like the other end of that so it was a political like a politically minded class which Bethany and I were already the most vocal when it came to those things so we were in this space where it was a little bit easier for us to do that yeah we were a little sexually frustrated each of us (laughs) yeah that's a good way to put it. And it was easy for us to talk about sex. Mm-hmm. And the hot professor was how we found that out. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Good. Yeah. Well put. I'll, I'll also say this. I like, um, I studied like uh, female sexuality and psychology and mm. stuff. So like, it's a very big interest of mine. And so. Have you seen the new Netflix the... thing? The principles of pleasure? No. Oh. What There's is that? There's a new docu-series. It's just like four episodes or something on Netflix right now called The Principles of Pleasure. 
Um, I recommend it. I think, and listeners boo fam, like I recommend it to anyone, honestly, because I think they do a good job of just, um, giving some like information that, I mean, I knew most of it as a 30 year old woman, but like, I probably didn't know it when I was 22 or something. Yeah. Um, and even younger than that. And it's definitely not information that I got. I did have sex ed. And I will say that for the fact that I went to Catholic school, it was decent sex ed. Like they were not, I I will give them credit that like they did teach us about condoms, even though they didn't want us to use them, but they were like, you know, they're like the church doesn't approve of this, but you should know about this type of thing. So I'll give them that credit. But that being said, I like wasn't sexually open and didn't know a lot about that stuff when I was younger. And Um, I feel like a lot of people have their own experiences and reasons for a similar type of upbringing and the principles of pleasure does a good job of like giving information, addressing gaps in like the information that we've gotten and also like myths and things that like are kind Mm -hmm. of common, popular, accepted knowledge that are actually not true about sex and um, like our bodies and things like that. And then yeah, they just do a good job. They represent like people from all walks of life and all sexual orientations. And, um, it's like very female oriented, but men should watch it too. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I recommend it just as a side note. Um, but I like what you're describing because I just think it's super relatable when you move to a new place, like in general, when I moved to Chicago, I, I had been in DC or that area for my whole life. And then I moved here and it was the winter and I had been in a really long relationship that we, when I moved here, we were still together and we were started to be long distance. And the goal was like that he would eventually move here too. And for the first couple of months that I was here, I was so depressed being away from my life and away from my boyfriend Mm -hmm. and away from everything though. Like it was away from him, but it was away from my family, away from my friends, away from like everything that was familiar and comfortable to me. And that was kind of part of the point of moving, but it was just like so uncomfortable and unsettling. And I feel exactly how you said, Bethany, of like, I couldn't, it was a time when I like needed to be enjoying this new place that I was in and like experiencing everything that it had to offer and meeting new people and putting myself out there. And I just like, wasn't able to do that because of how Mm -hmm. depressed I was and how much I just like wanted to be home. And it took, it took for me, it took that relationship ending, then me going even kind of deeper into a depression to because of the breakup. And then finally kind of coming out the other side of that. And part of what helped me come out the other side of that was like meeting people here who brought me out of my shell and who I could joke around with and who I could talk about sex with and open Mm -hmm. up with in ways that like, and truly like, I'm not just saying that because you said it, like, I do think an element of it was being able to have like really open conversations with like a new girlfriend that I had met here about stuff that I didn't talk to any of my friends in DC about, which was like sex. Like for some reason in my early mid twenties, like I still was not very comfortable having those types of conversations just in friend group settings, let alone like now on a podcast, you know? Um, 
But once you're able to do that and somebody, there's some friend and it's like the right timing and the right setting and the right everything, uh, it's very freeing and like really can connect women, I think. Um, So I'm just like totally vibing with what you're describing because I think that I've like in my own way seen that before and it does help to pull you out of your shell and be like, okay, I can lift my head out of this like depression swamp and look around and appreciate where I am the I don't want to like shit on the program at all but the dissatisfaction that I found in the program I replaced with just like falling in love with London I would still at any point love to go back and (laughs) remind me how old each of you were at this time I was 29 and I turned 30 there okay 24 and I turned 20 no 20 so the first year I turned 24, I was there for two birthdays. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. Those are both like very pivotal periods of like mm-hmm. growth and transformation. I think for, at least in my experience, like I think around the time of when I was 24 and then again, around 29 is when I had like big transformative life stuff going on and just like leveled up in the game type of thing and became like more mature versions of myself, you know? So that's just something to note too, is like the timing of that and the ages that you were at. Well, 29 is your Saturn return. So, oh yeah, that's (laughs) true. Yeah. Fun fact. (laughs) Tell the, tell the Boo fam what Saturn return means. Um, so Saturn is, so in traditional astrology before they could like have telescopes and everything it was the farthest planet you could see with the sky or with your eye and it makes a full rotation around the sun in 30 earth years give or take it's kind of like 28 to 30 depending on like all the factors um and so that's typically in astrology supposed to be a really transformative and pivotal time for your life people can have some really really life-changing things happen for you during your Saturn return, for instance, going to London and finding your independence and being a woman. Yeah, Yeah. that's definitely what was going on, which was um, kind of um, thinking back now on the year. um, It was very much a first moment of absolute and total independence um, financially, physically um but also like emotionally like you know milo and i just didn't we were just not the kind of couple that just text a lot like i would call him try and call him every couple days but like i know i know people who have to like be constantly talking and that's what they need um and i would try i would try um but it it was like it just kind of felt forced and it just like wasn't working. And so, you know, and so it, it is hard and it is hard because he was going through a lot. He had a lot going on that year as well that I was not there for. And right. I was going through a lot and it's just really difficult to actually be there emotionally with someone. So there was definitely, I had to rely on myself for that for like the first time in like a decade. Like, <laughs> so it, I learned so much you know, how to keep myself happy, how to like be, um, how to learn. I learned so much about myself that I would never have done otherwise without mm-hmm. that kind of, without that kind of concentrated separation. Um, 
literally on the other side of the globe. So it was like, yeah. I'm so curious about this. Like, I just don't even know what questions to ask about it, but I am just interested in it. Like, cause I think that's amazing that you had that opportunity and that, cause I think something that I see often, but of course, isn't always the case is like for people, for couples that get together really young and are together for so much of their formative years, um, they do oftentimes end up missing out on some of that Mm -hmm. individual development and uh, figuring out how to be good alone and take care of yourself and self-soothe and be independent. And like that, the, I guess the problem with that like maybe somebody would say, well, like, oh, but I don't have to because I, I have my couple, you know, but it's like in order for your couple to be healthier, each of you needs to have that relationship with yourself and be able to like bring a stronger, better version of yourself to the union, you know? So I just think it's like amazing. And I'm really happy for that you that you had that um, because, you know, like I, I think- I think that like makes probably makes your relationship a lot better now than it like mm-hmm. would have been if I am to assume and like project onto you. You would be correct. Not to like interject on this, but as a kind of like viewing third party as well. Looking at this couple that got together rather young, uh, like on the on the younger side. A lot of people divorce when they get married at the age that like you and Milo were when you got married. But the thing is, mm-hmm. like the the very fact that he was without hesitation so supportive of you going to London is really indicative of why you guys have managed to stay together through all of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because being that supportive does not come naturally to a lot of people. That's like a learned skill. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah, especially people who have not yet had the chance to be on their own and learn it. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I do think that that takes a lot of self, self, um, what's the word? Just security, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, it probably t- took a really secure person in him for him mm-hmm. to be able to like say that. And also obviously a person that cares about you a lot, but. Um, we are, we are Milo stands. no yeah it was um yeah I think I think the one thing we had was we've always trusted the other person really well that just came incredibly naturally to us and we were really lucky like I I tell a lot of people that too because we were young I was 19 when I met him we got married three years later so I was 22 22 um he was 24 and like that's young I feel like in, in the span of a lifetime, that's young. <laughs> like, um, and, and so like, I, I get used to telling people we were really lucky because I don't, I, you know, I, I guess every couple would say, oh, like I just see myself living with them forever. Well, I do, because I just don't imagine it any other way. Um, London, I got a glimpse of what it would be like, <laughs> and I already know better, I guess. Right. Like, <laughs> how much I I need. I, I like, I like him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I think he, 
has taught me a lot about what it means to love because of what he's allowed me to do. And I guess I, for the whole year, and even afterwards felt a lot of guilt, right? Because, you know, he's doing this, we're both sacrificing this for me to like go off. Well, meanwhile, he has to move back in with his mom and like <laughs> um, take care of her. And, and it was just, uh, you know, and I, and I, and kind of the burden of not being uh, emotionally available to him when his dad passed away while I was gone was really rough. Um, but I think he, I don't know, he's just more of a emotionally, like, I don't want to say stable is not the right word, but I think emotionally, like, self-reliant. Um, mm -hmm. Like, he, it's um, something that I have to kind of get him to be like, it's okay, you can, like, go back to me. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, it definitely, on the, on the, after London, we definitely had a lot of moments of being like before London, do you remember how hard it was and just like hard it was in terms of like, you know, panic attacks and just like how, how much we struggled and didn't really know how to help each other because we were both struggling. Um, yeah. And how now that like this year alone has kind of helped us how to learn about ourselves because there's so much guilt wrapped up and worrying about the other person and wanting their happiness that you don't know how to like figure out how to keep you yourself happy but enough about me <laughs> well, I love it <laughs> I love it because I think that in and of itself is a peaking story of like yeah you know kind of you're being in one couple for that many years how long have you guys been together now like 10 years longer 11 years and yeah. So being with one person for that long, 14 years. Wow. And learning together how to be a good partner mm -hmm. is like incredible because for me, like I'm learning a lot of the same things that you just talked about in my like dating and relationship life, but it's not been with one partner for 14 years. It's been like with a partner for four years and then with another person for three months and then another thing for this. And then I learned some of it from friends and family and those relationships. And I like piece it all together to figure out mm -hmm. like, how will I bring myself to my next like long-term relationship and be better than last time. And just the fact, and, and not that like you're ever done with that learning and you ever just show up and you're ready and you're done. Like you have to learn individual people and how to support like each other uniquely. But I just think it's really unique and special that you both have gone through that, like together the whole time. Um, so I, I find it fascinating. I don't think it's, I don't think it's too much on your story, Bethany. <laughs> I love relationship stuff too. So I just think it's interesting. And I, I think kind of going back to like the typical story of when people marry when they're younger, like that is like the reason people expect it to end in divorce is because people that young aren't willing to do the work all the yeah. time. And I'm not saying that like, you should always make it work no matter how toxic they are. But 
sometimes people end relationships for things that maybe 10 years from now they are not going to end a relationship for yeah and there's nothing inherently wrong with that like you're in your 20s all of us are supposed to be flailing around and figuring out what we're doing anyway Mm -hmm. sometimes that includes a relationship that is not going to last and so kind of like on the flip side too I think that the I guess the negative story around marrying young is really dangerous because it creates this kind of um it creates this narrative that can make it really hard to to learn to deal with because when you're in that space then you're like oh well we married young anyway we just aren't right for each other I don't want to do the work yeah I'm sure that some people do do that and it becomes Mm -hmm. like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah and then Melissa kind of your version of the same part of the story of like getting back from grad school and looking back on the growth that you had there. But then I know also you kind of like, I feel like we talked about you hitting another like speed bump when you got back and, and now you're feeling like you're you're getting your footing and you're feeling good. So talk us through that a little bit and we'll dig in. So I think what I hadn't realized was that the reason I kept hitting a wall wasn't because necessarily the things I was doing, but because it was academia. It was like the bigger uh, beast above all of it. Mm -hmm. And I realized that when I was finishing up my dissertation, because that took everything out of me. And that's not like a personal, that's not just like an isolated situation. Like that's a pretty typical experience with your dissertation. But if you want to do academia, then afterwards you're like, whew, I'm going to hop back on the horse and that's fantastic. And I feel better now and glad that's over with. But I finished and I was like sobbing and I was like talking to my mom and I was like, I want to go home. I'm done. Even though I loved London, like in that moment, finishing that, I was like, this is, I might die. Like that's how, I mean, it's an anxiety, obviously, but Mm -hmm. it was probably the most intense moment that I've had of it in just kind of like one single sitting. Um, So, and I realized I hadn't really mentioned this before, but Bethany, you and I were talking the other day and I did like this full purge of my like things. So journals, I threw out notebooks, Mm. I threw out everything. So I bullet journal, I got back into it again. And I mean, granted, right after that, the pandemic hit. So I wouldn't have been doing much bullet journaling anyway. I wasn't doing anything to plan. So yeah, uh, <laughs> all of my like bullet journaling materials in the trash. Um, you threw, when did you throw all that out? Uh, so I left London and I was still kind of like in that haze. Okay. And so I think it was like, as I was packing to leave, and I had to get rid of a bunch of stuff anyway. And I think that just like brought all of those feelings back up of like kind of sent back into that space of like panic. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I mean, I wouldn't even say that I was over that until well into the summer of 2020, mm. which was about probably seven months later. Um, so you moved back home with your parents, right? Yeah. When so I moved back. back- Yeah, in like the uh, end of January, very beginning of February. And so literally like 12 hours before I'm supposed to get on a plane, I just went into this 
panic again and was throwing out things I shouldn't have been throwing out. Like I threw out writing notebooks that now I'm like, mm. why did I throw that out? But I've still got notebooks from classes that I don't want notebooks for. <laughs> I mean, I should save those and not the things that were like important. But the, the reason I threw it out was because it was important. I looked at it and it made me panic and I chucked it in the trash bag. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I got back to the U.S. in February of 2020. And then I was like, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off, regroup. So I got over the jet lag, saw some friends, started applying to jobs. And then lockdown happened and all of my plans were put on hold because the general plan was get some small job in my parents' small town, start saving up some money because I was dirt poor at this point. It's... I lived in London for a year and a half. I only had a job for a few months there at the end. And then move maybe like try to get a job at the Phoenix Art Museum or I still at some point would like to move to Boston. I visited and I loved it there. Um, so I was like, if I could just go to Boston right away, that'd be nice. I don't have to put, put that off. I'm in Houston now, if that says anything about how those plans went. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that, I mean that plan was immediately just burned up. Mm -hmm. So I just sat pretty depressed in my parents' spare room. It felt like such a step back and not just a step back, because a step back would have been like moving back to Tempe where ASU is, where I went to undergrad and maybe getting a job out there again or trying out all of that again. But I went back like 10 steps. That's how I felt. And so on top of the kind of like the come down of, moving back from London and then also still without realizing it recovering from my master's program which I shouldn't like I can say with like my whole heart now I should not have gone to grad school I don't regret it but I shouldn't have yeah it sounds like like you had been go 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 yeah doing everything that you could get your hands on to try to figure out what was going to be the right thing for you mm -hmm. that culminated in grad school. And then at the end of that, you were like, fuck, this wasn't it. Yeah. And then you're back home at your parents' house and it's a pandemic. It just felt like I was at square run again. Yeah. I think it was like that. I don't, so this is something that my dad always says. And a lot of this, not to, to shit on him either. A lot of it comes from me trying to impress him and trying to make him proud of me. Classic, like, boomer dad. He doesn't really give a lot emotionally. And so that was always hard when I was younger. And I think I was still trying to, like, relive those cycles. Mm. But one of his big things is that he doesn't like moving backwards. And I think when I was younger, I just saw that in, like, such a two-dimensional kind of way. And so then when I'm living with my parents again, no job, not studying, no prospects, in lockdown, that really, really hit hard. Yeah. So. Yeah, because you're like, I feel like I'm moving backwards and that's like the worst thing that I could do according yeah. to this person whose approval I like have always so desperately wanted basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so- when did 
the podcast come into play and like like a year later <laughs> oh it was still a year yeah because I'm yeah. I'm thinking like is that one of the things that like kind of helped you feel more purpose you know oh yeah it is yeah yeah, yeah. So we, we didn't still feel purpose year till I found purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean that's fair nobody did yeah really. yeah it was yeah COVID, for sure so. yeah um yeah yeah I think um yeah the pan the pandemic I kind of got back into reading um um, it took, I think Melissa a little longer to get back in, but I think it was 2021 and we, I think we're starting to feel more comfortable with like revisiting those old demons of London, <laughs> like, yes, and yeah. like, uh, talking to each other again. And so we got on a, like a zoom call and we were just kind of chatting and catching up and we just started talking about books and we were like, I was like, Oh, wouldn't it be fun to have like a podcast? And then like, a couple hours without, later without like a second thought I was like yes yeah and then like a couple yes. hours later we had like first season planned out like <laughs> we were, wow yeah were had either of you or both of you thought about having a podcast before that yeah yeah I've started a podcast before um okay couple of times um one of them was like <laughs> an episode that I recorded but it wasn't like a full-on podcast the second one yeah. I, um, we did, we, uh, started a podcast and then I moved to London and it just didn't like stick. And then Milo's done a podcast. So I would like help him out with like graphics and stuff for that. So I, I've, I have a little bit of like experience around podcasting. So, and uh, yeah. my mind is very marketing sometimes. And I'm like, Ooh, let's make this into content. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's how I am. I just like to talk. Yeah. <laughs> when she suggested it, I was like, I could not say yes fast enough. Yeah. And I feel like we have like a good, we have like a good report. Like, I feel like when we like, I was like, I've thought about like, you have those friends who are like, Oh, like let's start a podcast. But you're like, I just don't think it could like, we could keep it going, you know? Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Like you have to have like a good rapport and like be able to laugh and like, yeah. Totally. It's like banter, Mm -hmm. but then it's also like, yeah, you guys, you guys lived in London banter is like such a thing there. (laughs) Um, cool that you guys found that in each other and like reconnected over a shared hobby yeah at like a time when you needed it you know I love it yeah what's like okay so now we're switching gears to just like talking to me someone who knows so little about the like YA genre also who doesn't read a lot and when I do read it's nonfiction. and if that makes me seem boring which you guys know I'm not but I just I just don't even know where to start it's so unfamiliar but I love how much you love it (laughs) the number one question that I think you have to ask yourself is whether or not you like tall dark broody men (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that's it that's all you need to know there you're you're good you like really? YA that's what it <laughs> oh, is yeah. every single I mean there's varying levels of like sass or attitude or like growling or in Ooh, I fantasy- like growling mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. like it when they like don't really know how to express oh, their yeah. emotions through words so they just <laughs> gr- like groan that's yes. a problem for me that I'm working through in therapy <laughs> <laughs> well this has been great guys Thanks so for much being here. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe it's been like two hours. Like, yeah, Yeah. we did it. (laughs) We did it. We really did it. Thanks again for joining for this episode of Peking. If you want more Peking, make sure to follow on Instagram at Peking Podcast. You can also follow me, your host, Jess DeBakey, at Jay-Z DeBakey on Instagram. I have a website. I don't keep it up to date as much as I should, but it's pekingpodcast.com. And if you want to send me, you know, the story of your life, something a little bit longer form than we can handle in the DMs, pekingpodcast at gmail.com is the place to go. All right. I will see you in a couple weeks. Talk to you soon, Boo Fam. Do you guys have any other things you wanted to talk about that crossed your mind and you didn't get to release into the Zoom call? (laughs) I'm pro libraries and pro Brendan Fraser. Both underrated. Okay. That's wow. I love that. Bring it full circle.